You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Thomas Lyon and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent and I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. Welcome everyone to today's podcast. So it's focused on female leadership uh, within the NHS. Um, so I want to say thank you both for taking the time to participate. You know, I do, we do really appreciate it. Um, so you both know me, but by way of introduction, um, I'm Thomas Lyon. I work for Evolution Recruitment in the NHS team, and we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. So to bring that to life, our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust um, to make doing business easier. And what we're doing, so we're collaborating with NHS organisations, helping them build high performing digital teams and how we're doing that. Uh, we do that through curating and sharing insights and industry best practice into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industry. So this is exactly what we're going to uh, be doing today as we share some of your insights from your individual perspective. Um, so to start off, I'm just going to go to each of you and, and just start off by doing introductions. So if you could please introduce yourself, the trust you work for and your role within that trust. Uh, Rafia, you're at the top of my screen, so could you please go first? Hi, yes. Um, so my name is Rafia Patel. I am a speech and language therapist by background and I currently work for Surrey and Borders Partnership Trust. Um, I work part time, it's a job share, and I am the Chief Digital Ethics and Privacy Officer. So I do that for three days. And then for two days, I'm funded by the NHS, by the National Institute of Health Research, um, to conduct um, research. Uh, I'm doing a doctoral, so I'm doing my PhD, looking at co design with children with um, language and learning needs. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Rafia. Um, and Asha, would you like to go next, please? Hello. Um, so my name is Asha Cowie. I am a strategic transformation lead at Surrey and Borders in the Digital Directorate. Um, I am also co-founder of Flex NHS um, and attempting to set up the South East Digital Health Skills Development Network at the moment. So I suspect I'll be touching on all, all three hats at some point during, during this call. That's brilliant. Thank you for that. I look forward to you touching on those. Um, so I appreciate you both probably familiar with Teams right now, but for a better flow of the podcast, you know, can you please raise your hand through Teams if you'd like to add something to, like, to the question or to make a point, and then we'll come back to you when possible. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off. So we've got some questions that we want to go through, um, some of which that you know you've highlighted as key points. So um, first off, I want to start. So you briefly touched on your background, Rafia, but do you want to kind of... Um, elaborate on what your background is and kind of your route to your present role please yeah um i mean saying it's a route is it makes me laugh because it's it's been very unplanned and kind of just just happened i suppose um as the best things do um so i trained um as i mentioned as a speech and language therapist and i qualified in 2004 and i've worked um as a clinician since then and um, that involves working um, with individuals with um, communication needs, um, language needs, um, quite often linked to learning needs. Um, you can also support um, with feeding skills, um, stammering, as I'm doing a bit of now, voice needs. Um, sometimes there's a known cause of difficulty, sometimes there's an unknown cause, and um, doing that day to day. <laughs> 
for um, well over a decade really kind of it, I, I was drawn to that career because of that um, opportunity to be able to practice in an inclusive and accessible way and that really has embedded me doing it day in and day out that's where my passion kind of came from where it grew and that's kind of my clinical background and it's always been with NHS so kind of quite familiar <laughs> with the, the good and the bad of the NHS um, at all levels um, so that that's kind of how I started and then about eight years ago or so I became increasingly interested in um, looking at efficiency of process. I've been doing speech and language therapy for a while and looking at um, speech and language therapy is interesting because of the nature of our work. We straddle health, education, social care. So we support children within the schools, wherever they're communicating um, and whoever the key partners are. So um, it depends on the nature of their needs. So I felt very comfortable with multidisciplinary working. And when we'd go into schools, um, it seemed that schools and education were very um, good at looking at innovation and different ways of working and trial things. And um, I want to kind of apply some of that to my clinical practice. And the thing that I was most drawn to was technology and the way technology was being used by children and by teachers and there wasn't really this question of is it right or wrong first and foremost it was it's a tool so like pen and paper you'd have your whiteboards and you'd have your ipads and then it would be bespoke to each child what's right and wrong what's appropriate and it just wasn't happening in the clinical world in the same way we had ipads that were in a locked drawer where you had to ask for the drawer then get the password and could only download it on certain days and it was it was just not working so i could see potential but could it see the route to gets untapped that potential um, and that's what drew me into research kind of looked at different routes and it's just finding the time when you're practicing clinically and you've got your caseloads and you want to find efficient ways of working but where does that time come from um, and I, I literally just googled other search engines that are available <laughs> but just sat and looked for opportunities for where I could kind of buy me that time to go and do that kind of um, investigation I suppose. I started off with just a small pot of funding from the Wellcome Trust and that was just to do some exploratory work start introducing iPads in therapy sessions and you know the other tablets as well and see how children responded and then that led me to branch out of speech and language therapy because there wasn't much happening within this whole world and see what else is out there. And um, I applied for um, a digital pioneer fellowship with Digital Health London. And that was my first stepping stone kind of into the world of digital health kind of a bit more formally. And what was great about um, the Perfect Near Fellowship, which still is still running, it's still running on an annual basis, it's open to anyone in the NHS. It doesn't matter if you're clinical or non-clinical, medical or non-medical. As long as you have a project in the NHS, doesn't matter what stage you are, what, what uh, seniority you are, anyone can apply. And I applied and, you know, explained my project, what I was trying to do, explained the lack of um, network support, professional peer groups, um, what I wanted out of it. And I did that for a year and it's absolutely fantastic. It kind of really embedded this idea of digital health and where it was going, what this space meant. Um, and I'm still in touch with most of the people on there um, professionally, personally, really good kind of network of people. And on the back of that, I made a 
huge bid for um, funding to fund my um, doctoral work <laughs> to do my PhD um, and that was through the NHS and that took a year and to put that application together you needed a lot of support and knowledge even before you get starting the, the PhD because it's funded, they fund your salary, your training scheme, travel, mentoring, everything is funded and it was doing the Pioneer Fellowship that supported me to do the doctoral PhD and that was all about co-design and therapy tools and work with children and language disorder. Real focus on behaviour change. What are the drivers? Um, how, how, how can you be inclusive uh, while still being innovative? How can you work with private sector and academia and health? Um, and a COVID hit. <laughs> um, and suddenly <laughs> this niche area, especially in the speech therapy world, very niche clinical area, it became much more I suppose to normalise, but normalise isn't the right word. It, there wasn't really a choice. <laughs> we all had to go, we were mandated to shift towards working towards digital. So my kind of interest in behaviour change suddenly became much more kind of of a, of a focus and kind of was drawn on by my clinical services and um, uh, other clinicians within speech therapy and beyond and started doing a lot more kind of supportive work, consultative work, second opinions. I didn't have the answers, but I kind of knew people who knew a bit more than we did and it just kind of mushroomed from there. Um, that led to just more senior roles coming up within the NHS and me being in a good position to be able to apply for those. So with support from the Digital Pioneer Fellowship, from the experience I'd had through my PhD, which I started, I applied for a role at NHSX um, and that was to support um, outpatient transformation. And I went from, um, uh, a, a role that um, in terms of in NHS funding is such a huge thing. So I was kind of mid-banding to moving towards managerial to suddenly becoming in a senior position because I had a unique skill set, which was a clinician working in digital. And then whilst I was there, um, it, it was the um, inclusive aspect that really drew me into this part of the role. And when this role came up for lead of ethics and developing an ethical approach within uh, digital it was just it just seemed too perfect <laughs> a role and um, again it was a very senior role but I felt again that all I could do was was apply and show what I've got and see if that's a fit um, and, and that's what I did <laughs> um, and I'm sure I'll cover more about the current role as we chat more but that's really my my non-journey non-plan journey <laughs> where I am now. That was a very like kind of diverse route in terms of yeah. where you came from, where you got yeah. to now. And it seems like the NHS has given you a lot of opportunity to do that. And yeah. actually like it your role now is yeah. yeah. Any any chances that came up. And you know, there's been a lot of kind of knocks or oh, I don't think that's for me. Sometimes being told, sometimes feeling, but it's it's this thing of um just just plugging away, I guess, and and mm. maybe one step at a time and just yeah uncertainty but you know opportunity as well so yeah yeah I mean, we're definitely gonna delve into we said about getting knocks and being told you know mm. different things definitely we'll get into that later in the podcast mm. there was questions that address that because you know i appreciate someone in your position has, has, has experienced that and it's always good to share, to share that with people listening um but no thank you for sharing that it was really really detailed and very interesting as well um asher would you mind going next please yeah, sure. So um, another very unplanned career journey over here um, from, a, from a different different route, but we've sort of ended up in, 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 in similar areas, which is which is really fun, fun and uh, exciting. So um, I, I started off my NHS career um, in the ambulance service. 
um, complete fluke. Um, I graduated with an economics degree as the recession hit, so getting a job in economics was just not going to happen, but probably a blessing in disguise because I found it a bit boring. Um, probably shouldn't say that. Um, but um, so I accidentally un ended up in this in this job doing 909 uh, call taking dispatch as an emergency medical dispatcher. Um, I'd had previous customer service experience, so I sort of looked at the job advert in the paper and was like, oh, this sounds like something that actually I could do and, and it would be giving back and it would be exciting. Um, I never thought about even working for the NHS at that point. Um, so I suspect we'll come more on to that later. Um, so I did that. Uh, I did that for a, for a couple of years. Um, my um, habit of getting my fingers into lots of pies started quite early on and while I was at the ambulance service um, I did a voluntary clinical audit so they were looking for uh, sort of you know frontline staff um, both on the road and in the call centre to participate in clinical audits um, to collaborate as part of their research department and um, and I did a I did a big piece on um, into hospital transfer so when an ambulance has to convey a patient between hospitals um, within a certain window for a certain set of conditions and sort of interrogated all the data that we had available around that from the call records listening back to calls um, you know were we following protocols were the protocols right were we adhering to standards all sorts of stuff um, I didn't realize I was doing it at the time but really it was a big service improvement piece um, and, it, and, and I really enjoyed it and when a role came up within the clinical audit department, um, I, I went for that. Um, I, I, to be honest, um, I really struggled with the shift works. Um, I, I did it for four years and I was 21. I, I was, you know, sort of really, um, you know, I, I, even at that age, I really struggled with it. So um, it was, uh, you know, kudos to people that do shift work and nights and everything. Um, so, so when a job came up and I'd, I'd got interested in sort of the whole clinical audit side, um, I, I went down that route. Um, I did a number of clinical audit and data entry type roles um, after that and then an opportunity came up to do the National Graduate Management Training Scheme um, in their health informatics specialism. Um, I actually applied more than once and I, I got knocked back twice um, so you know don't, don't, don't be afraid to apply for things more than once I'm sure we'll do some general advice later um, but, but I got on and then um, it was it was a wonderful two years of sort of doors opening a really interesting experience um quite challenging in in the respect that i think as an informatics trainee you had no real career pathway or, or you didn't know where to go to look for what should i be doing next or what does good look like and what um you know what should i be aspiring to be it was it was so difficult i think we've we've got we've come a long way in the last sort of um 10 years so um you know i thought the scheme was brilliant but it definitely felt challenging as an informatics trainee in that environment trying to sort of carve carve their path um so I, I did a variety of roles on the scheme um, and after scheme I sort of I found myself in that more digital transformation space which I really enjoyed. I did a number of roles and I, I suppose the sort of key ones that stick to mind is I did quite a bit in primary care digital transformation um, and then I did some work on the COVID clinical assessment service um, as, as, as the pandemic hit which was um, you know, brilliant in terms of a, a such a high profile piece of work to be involved in. I learned a lot about myself in that process too. Um, I've also then over the last sort of 18 months or two years 
done quite a bit of formal work with the digital readiness programme. So I was working with the South Central and West CSU at the time, um, and we were supporting a lot of work into health education England and the digital readiness programme. Um, I've done some previous work with them looking at career pathways, which I think we'll, we'll probably talk about later. Um, and generally just, again, sort of waving a bit of this white flag to a lot of people saying help we need to make this easier and better for people so it's been really cool to sort of both formally and formal informally um work in that area and the big piece um i then did was the future vision of the um, nhs digital academy so really looking at how how did that expand from being one offering to a variety of offerings and opportunities so you know, we're not putting all our eggs in one basket and we're not focusing on it just being the be all and end all. How do we expand that? What do we need? Um, and that was a really that was a brilliant piece of work to be involved in. Um, and then the job at Surrey and Borders came up probably at a point where I felt like um, I'd probably given as much as I could to the health education England work at that at that time. So it, it just seemed like a really good time to uh, apply to do something different. I, I'd been getting itchy feet for a little while and had wanted to get into a local organisation again. I was really missing that. Um, so yeah, when this job came up um, as a strategic transformation lead, um, I thought, why not? I'll go for it. Um, and then I got the job and and, and here I am. And um, the, the role at the moment is, so there's me and my counterpart, um, Mark Kenny, who I think has been on your podcast before actually. And the yes, idea yes, behind, yes. yeah, I thought he has. Um, the idea behind our roles is, we're trying to look for the future. So really think about what do we need to plan for today to give us the tools and capabilities and teams and you know everything we need for the future instead of that constant firefighting. So it's a new role. It's going to take us a while, I think, to really grow into them and find out how it fits within the organisation and the system. Um, but I think they're really exciting and, um, you know, already getting involved in all sorts of interesting conversations locally and in the system about you know the sort of thing we might want to do um so yeah that, that's where i where i am today um the other thing is um i haven't really touched on it is there was a gap during that career path where um i ended up in a job i i just really wasn't happy in and um, i will talk about that when we talk about challenges um, and i actually um i was six months post maternity leave um everything just felt like it was going a bit wrong walked away from the nhs completely didn't know if i'd come back um, I started blogging, tweeting, um, I used that as sort of my my part of my therapy to, to sort of work out where I was um, and then launched with my colleague Kate Jarman who's at Milton Keynes um, we launched Flex NHS which is this community really around flexible working, enabling it, promoting it and I think what we did is we created this safe space for people to explore flexible working, the reasons behind it, how to do it, um, you know, the, the, the pros and cons. Um, but it was just that safe discussion space and creating a network of people. Actually, it was all about lifting each other up and supporting each other. And, and that's played such a huge part part in my life. So really, really, you know, proud of that and and and, and great to be part of that um, and continue to do that alongside the, the Surrey and Borders role. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Asha. I mean, we could definitely see that you both had some like really kind of diverse routes getting to where you are now. And I was quite shocked to hear that you had an economics degree. Like such a big change from where you are now, that, you know, to what you studied back then. And, and it is, but actually it's funny, in the last year or two, for the first time, I found myself drawing things from it, actually. Oh, really? Looking at supplying capacity and of, of, of workforce and, and stuff like that. 
Um, I'm actually probably drawing more of my economics degree in the, in the last couple of years than I had done in the, the previous 10. Um, but I suppose it's the interesting bits of it or the bits that I found interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, that the sort of statistics and mathematics and econometrics part of it just... I was not very good at it and I did not enjoy it. But um, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's actually some really transferable bits of it I'm, I'm probably now revisiting. Well, that's good. That's good. At least you definitely get your money's worth out of it then. Yeah. <laughs> No, brilliant. Thank you both, Shane. That was really interesting to hear your journeys. You know, it's one of the best things about hearing about this is how sometimes it's not a straightforward path. It, it It's a lot of grasping opportunities and seeing where your skill set lies. And yeah, that's really, really good to hear. Um, so one of the first questions we have here is, um, so you're both kind of in like similar, similar roles, like in terms of like technical and technical leader. So one thing we always like to ask is, you know, do you think you need to be technical to be a technical leader? Do you want to start off after you because you're at the top? Yeah, um, well, my obvious answer is no, because I'm a technical <laughs> leader, I'm not technical, so I'm slightly biased. Um, but no, I think you need to be a leader to be a leader, <laughs> um, you know, irrespective of, um, you, you know, forgetting anything else, leading is leading. And for me, it's about how you lead and those should be transferable skills, regardless of who you're leading. So it doesn't matter the size of the team or the nature of leadership. And I think there's a difference between leading and managing. And I think in terms of leading, it's much more about modelling and and kind of supporting um, a, a way of approaching um, whether it's service transformation or the day-to-day -day working it's that approach um, for me I'm I'm really um, really inspired by the idea of compassionate leadership and I know that's kind of banded around a lot but um, for me um, if if anyone's not if anyone's kind of heard of it, not sure what it is or not heard of it, I would definitely say to look into the work by Michael West. And I was fortunate enough to hear him speak um, kind of around the time where I was moving into more of a leadership space because I had a skill set that seemed to be um, kind of uh, of value because there weren't many others in that space. And that's around when, when I heard him speak. And it's all about um, that the benefits of compassionate leadership to the workflow <laughs> so it's done in quite a quite a um, currency way if that makes sense whether it's monetary or uh, productivity or efficiency so it's it's about soft skills but how soft skills can translate into um uh, unobservable but also unmeasurable but also measurable um change and i think to me that that is really revolutionary in the NHS having been in NHS for so long it was that move away from KPIs KPIs have a place it's not me bashing KPIs at all but moving away necessarily from output to thinking more around outcomes and also the journey to get to that outcome um, and sustainability so um, rather than um, kind of from a clinical perspective how many patients have you seen during the day it's not necessarily about that it's looking at how, how what, what is the level of staff well-being what is the staff turnover is there a correlation between the two because actually if there's high staff turnover what is the experience that these patients are getting yes they're getting contacts but what's the quality of that contact how many are failing to attend how many are going on to um, have functional um, gains rather than discharge because an episode of care has finished you know do they come back a few months later so it was looking at it from a very different angle it was looking at it from uh, more of a functional well-being <laughs> um, approach um, and 
I think those skills are transferable because I feel like I hone those skills in a clinical context, but I'm definitely using them. Um, well, we all work in NHS, so uh, even the technical aspects support clinical. <laughs> that's that's our ultimate goal, really. So I was going to say transferring my clinical to a technical, but it's not. It's it's a full circle approach, I suppose. Um, and and it's people skills and it's a two way learning. I can't say I sit here with all the answers. I'm quite open to. I was going to say being vulnerable, but being vulnerable in in as as um, organized a way as possible. Um, I feel that as someone who's leading, it's important that I don't um, delegate that responsibility of leadership, but I do openly say when I don't know the answers, I'm still learning or I'm unsure, but say, but there's a plan in place. So kind of that solution focused thinking saying, I don't know the solution, but I have steps in place to get there. Or I kind of know the solution. Are we going to try this? <laughs> um, and I think I'm relatively comfortable with change again organized change but I think change is difficult and especially if you're leading change it's quite a different experience to if you're the recipient of change and I think a big part of leadership is supporting change particularly in this world of digital um, and again I've honed that formally and informally and I kind I think I've picked up quite early on that if you can support people through the concept of change, that's a really important dynamic. And so I prioritise that as an area. And I think for me, that's a big aspect of my leadership style. But that is not specific to technical or technical. You can apply it anywhere, really. So, no. Yeah, it's quite a long answer. But yeah, so the short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good to elaborate, you know, because, you know, we kind of touched as well on kind of what, kind of skills you think is important to be within your role and to be that kind of leader so it's really good that you elaborate that much um Asha what are your thoughts on that where to begin um so um I, I think I agree with everything Raffi has said I'll try not to repeat things but I'll, I'll try and sort of come from it from a few different angles and experiences so um I, I don't um I don't see myself as a technical leader I just see myself as a leader um and actually it is quite challenging sometimes and for me there's something about and Rafi's already touched on this you know you, you can't do everyone's job for them you, you can't you can't be the expert in everything you you just can't so how do you foster that environment of you know you 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 know you know who has got that SME uh, subject matter expertise in that different in those different areas as a leader it's how do you bring that together how do you connect the right people how do you create that culture within your team and your environment environment to um make sure you're you're you know you're problem solving together and and you've got the you're not working in silos and all that sort of stuff um for me you know the biggest I suppose I don't know in my career so far has been um, when I was working on the COVID um, COVID clinical assessment service. Sorry, I, long day. Um, and um, I was brought in fairly late on. I mean, this is going to be one of those like career defining moments, you know, you reflect on for years. Um, and I was brought in quite late on to help with the implementation of a rostering system. Um, so the idea was we were supporting clinicians to be able to self-roster on and provide that, um, you know, that support throughout the, the, the peaks of the pandemic early on. Um, and I had, I had the most ridiculous deadline to supposedly implement this system. Um, 
I think I've been brought in quite late as a digital lead um, and a lot of pre-work hadn't been done. So there was some narrative around, well, it's just implementing a system. Um, but actually, you know, we had to do work around IG, clinical safety, comms and engagement, training. You know, there's no point having a new system if <laughs> no one knows it's there or how to use it or how to log on. So um, it was a real, I struggle with confidence quite a lot. And, and because I just didn't have the time, I, I just had to get on with it and I just had to do it. So again, for me, I think that's why it was a career defining moment. And actually, I, I led that piece of work and I, I pulled in our clinical teams, our BI teams, our, our you know, our more technical infrastructure teams um, to get that piece of work over the line. And um, I did push back on the deadline slightly for, you know, safety reasons. But for me, that was that was being a leader in the technical space. But I didn't necessarily need to have the right technical skills. I needed to answer. I, need, I needed to know enough and I needed to ask the, the right questions to the right teams. But I needed to just, you know, I need I had that assurance that they knew what they were doing as as, as leads because they were the ones who who, who have that expertise. So I, I think it's really interesting. And my my personal journey has been a bit of a funny one because I've come up through a through a leadership scheme and actually I've probably had more focus and, and you know I reflected earlier it was really hard carving out what does that career look like in informatics. I've come through much more of a leadership track than a than a technical track into this space. Um, and, and, and one thing I, I do find is I think we sometimes forget we can, you know, our digital leaders need some of that leadership training as well. And we don't I don't think we always get that right. So, you know, there's a whole I don't necessarily need digital specific programs. Actually, things like some of the leadership, you know, you've got Elizabeth Garrett Anderson and things like that some of that will be hugely beneficial to some of our for some of our colleagues in, in more technical roles and um, likely some of them might not want to be leaders in that sense and actually you know there's a whole leader and manager debating here I won't I won't get into but actually there's also things about um you know enabling people to be technical leaders because they are such an expertise in, in a niche area but without having to force them to line manage people and stuff because of agenda for, for change constraints. So the whole area is really interesting. Um, so it, the short answer is no, I don't think you have to be technical to be a technical leader. Um, but that, that's some of my musings around it to try and try and build on and Rafi is already very eloquent answers. No, they're both very, very good answers. Um, and this it is quite a common thing that people say you don't need to be a technical leader. And then you both made the point that leadership qualities are most important. Um, a lot of people kind of possess that, but a lot of people don't. I think the technical stuff you you can pick up and learn as you go along. I know in my role, I pick up a lot of technical skills just by listening to people and understanding more about their roles. Um, so thank you both for sharing that, much appreciated. Um, one, our next question is, you know, it's quite an open question. Um, it might be something that you want to focus on specific ones. You might, you might want to talk about all of them. I, you know, I can imagine you've faced a lot. Um, but I wanted to ask the question, what challenges have you faced? And has it been plain sailing or has there been like kind of bumps in the road, you know, to, to your journey to where you are now? Um, Rafi, do you want to start, take, start with? Yeah, um, I guess uh, if I if I chat, start by just 
explaining my role a little bit more because I kind of stopped <laughs> kind of the journey up to the role but what is the role and um, I wasn't sure I mean a big part of the role is to define the role and develop the role so it's it's the first role of its kind within the NHS to lead on um, digital ethics and it's been an interesting um, and quite challenging <laughs> few months um, uh, because of actually defining what is the role and what does it mean? And it's got quite a broad remit. Um, in, in a nutshell, it's about doing things the right way. <laughs> you know? And um, but when you break that apart, there's aspects of the role which, you know, it was interesting to talk about technical and non-technical. Um, I oversee information governance coming from a clinical background and a clinical predominantly non-digital up until kind of more recently, but even the digital is more from the therapy angle. IG's just been a new world to me and there's this um, I feel responsibility for me to have that awareness of the impact of IG and just how it what it means whether it's at a broad level at a relationship level in terms of uh, service users um, partners um, but also what it means for the individuals who are delivering <laughs> the IG aspect so so that was completely new to me you know completely a, a different area so um suddenly coming from an inclusion accessible background to leading on ig and actually having done it as in and it's on an ongoing journey and journey that's never going to end but having really gone away and really deep dived into ig and what does it mean actually it's transient and it's about doing things the right way and meeting the needs of individuals and yes there's legislation and timeframes and there are certain things that can't and can be done but if you peel that back to look at why it fits perfectly within the the remit of ethical thinking <laughs> but I had to go on a journey to do that so it's almost like this is an aspect of the role <laughs> because historically this was aspect of um kind of the data access role which is a big part of what I do so there's been that learning really steep learning in a short space of time um and also working out how it fits with other aspects of the role so that's been quite a big um kind of challenge I suppose and expectation coming into quite a senior role that you're able to well maybe I place that expectation myself that you know when, when you go into a meeting if you're overseeing an area people assume that you know kind of quite deep level stuff you know being a, a yeah. bit of a subject matter expert and I've started becoming increasingly comfortable with saying no I don't do the day-to-day -day IG um, and the aspect I oversee is clinical safety again very very knowledgeable people within our team with IG and clinical safety that's not my role and I feel I'm becoming comfortable with saying my role isn't day-to-day -day clinical safety I can answer certain questions on IG but I can go away and find out um, and um, I think that's healthy because I think each person within NHS has a responsibility for doing things the right way so each person needs to have that level of knowledge or feel comfortable saying I know this much I don't know this much but these are the people I can tap into so I'm hoping I'm modeling what to do when you're not sure um, and then digital inclusion I mean it's it's huge and it's varied and the the what it means is so different to different people at different times and it's so important and um can be very emotive <laughs> and you know particularly I'd say in the last couple of years inclusion and and what it represents has really come to the forefront um with really really moving experiences of, of people who've, who've not had the best um inclusive opportunities so there's this 
huge responsibility because it's 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 developing so that the, there wasn't a an embedded digital inclusion strand within the service where that there was for say IG and it was developing clinical safety so it's it's literally starting um from scratch which is huge <laughs> and and what does that mean and what do I as a person being in this role represent what do I want it to represent what do I not want it to represent um you know it's it's um uh, yeah, I come from a BAME background and uh, I'm working in inclusion. Uh, what does that mean? And so it's it's been a challenge in terms of that professional, personal um, kind of place within this role and and how what I do represents more than just what I do, if that makes sense. Um, so that's that's been huge. Um, so yeah, quite quite abstract <laughs> things but also then quite concrete you know day to day I'm signing off with things that I don't know that much about what how much do I need to know so yeah it's been it's been huge lots of challenges I feel I, I feel wrong stopping there without putting in some of the support mechanisms that have helped no, I'll just yeah, touch I um and I, I think the perfect sample for example is how I got to know Asha <laughs> so Asha um wonderful wonderful Asha um I don't know if I've told this story before to you Asha but um I was I was um doing my so I, I mentioned it quite early on I went into research because I wanted time and space to explore um a different way of doing things and had very little time to do a lot of things and one of the things I was asked to do was put in an ethics proposal to do some uh, focus group within a week not having any experience in the area not even knowing what to start literally googled <laughs> focus group ethics and up popped Asha's name <laughs> on some work that she'd done had never met her before no um, parallels in terms of where we worked in NHS she was at university at the time I was at a trust at the time being a speech therapist I literally just emailed her I think she was either on maternity leave or uh, about to go back and she was so lovely she's like just just taking care of the baby and then I'll get back to you <laughs> and and it was amazing and she was so helpful and so supportive and she literally I mean I'll let Asha kind of say more because I'm putting words in her mouth but she helped because she could help and she found you know she was able to answer the questions and she went out of her way to do everything she could to help me and if I hadn't have got that those early bits of research through I couldn't have gone on to the next stage and I think it's that I think it's reaching out to people and and just valuing and then we met years later when we were more into that leadership digital leadership pathway but how wonderful to know that oh there's there's an ally there who will without knowing anything about me will just drop everything to help and I think that's that's been the biggest thing just just ask it goes back to showing your vulnerability <laughs> if, oh, if, if you don't show your vulnerability you don't know who's out there to help but also accepting that different people have different demands and in different places so if someone isn't in a position to help it's not because they don't want to that's not necessarily always a rebuttal it's okay well this person can't at this moment and who else can um so you know obviously lots of support mechanisms but that's been my biggest one of just reaching out sharing saying what you can't do and 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 just taking what you can and hopefully showing some gratitude and and building such lovely meaningful relationships no, that's brilliant. That's an incredible story as well. It's, I, think, I, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. And the fact that you met years later down the line as well, that's even more incredible. Um, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Rafael. I really appreciate it. Um, Asha, so what kind of challenges have, have you faced uh, in your journey to your role? I think you got an exclusive there, Tom. Um, 
So I'm going to do similar to Raffia. I'll share some of the challenges and then I'll probably weave, uh, weave into it. Actually, the support we've had from others like role models and advocates, because I think it's nice to look at the two together rather than in isolation, um, as it's not as it's not as bleak and doom and gloom as it as it, as it sounds sometimes. Um, so I've split it up into a sort of a few things. Um, I think firstly sort of in my current role and then some more more broad stuff and then some personal development stuff. And I'm quite methodological like that can't say the word but never mind um so in in my current role um you know similar stuff to Raffia actually in terms of you know this is a new role as well it's a new you know are we creating a new service is it a way of thinking what does it what does it mean how do we get people on board so resonate with a lot of Raffia said and you know I also just wanted to add um I found it I found it really challenging um starting a new role virtually um it's been really really hard um now the team have been incredible supportive like the nicest you know everyone I've met has been lovely um I think I'm someone who thrives on sort of connecting with people and I found it really difficult to create some of those connections virtually um I I I, I felt like I was just annoying people I didn't know if I was really getting sort of across in the right way um that's probably a lot of that is me rather than other people um, but I think there's also something in there recognising about the way we work going forwards and, and I think as a team actually we've all reflected on as new people come in as well and as, as we progress um, you know on this journey of whatever it ends up being I don't think us all coming back into the office is the answer by the way so whatever this hybrid journey is how do we all work together and make that a bit more uh, I suppose inclusive for, for, for new starters and people that are joining so they so they don't feel like that so I think that was one of my immediate challenges actually you know managing that feeling of, of feeling a bit disconnected and you know understanding what were my ins who were my allies how did I how did I get you know get through this um and then broadly thinking about my career stuff I think I've already touched a bit on the on the career pathway work so you know um it can it's funny I'm at a point now where I'm actually really comfortable with my ambiguity and I feel like the world's my oyster I've ended up in this lovely position where I've dabbled in digital workforce transformation you know they all come together in my eyes and I think over time we'll start to see a lot of that actually come together under sort of one leadership I, I don't think you can separate them out in the longer term for some of these things um but actually you know the career pathway stuff was a real challenge because uh, you know sometimes you do need to say you need to see where you can go and it doesn't have to be a rigid thing but you want to see role models you want to see people's inspiring stories you want to see what are your opportunities what are your transferable skills where could I go next? How does this relate to that? And we just did not have anything in this space. Um, all the stuff we had was 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 quite basic or outdated because it was based on sort of, you know, we hadn't really brought it into where we are now. And, and that is, you know, that that's why doing stuff like this for me is is really important. And I'm, you know, I don't put words into Raffia's mouth now, but I think she feels the same. It's about partly role modeling our own experiences to to help others have faith that actually if it if it is does feel a bit sort of all over the place sometimes it, it it's not the be all or end all and to start thinking about where you could go or, or where you could transfer those skills 
Um, so, so, so yes, a career pathways has been a big challenge in all this, but um, you know, I'm I'm happy that I'm in a happy space now, but I'm still conscious as others that we need to lift up through this journey. Um, others who we might lose if we're not careful because they can't see a future for them. And at the moment, we are struggling to recruit in digital and data roles. We cannot afford to to not retain people at the moment because they can't see a future. There are so many transferable skills in this space, and and there are there are opportunities and careers for life. And you know, I mentioned at the start of the call. I, you know, I fell into the NHS by accident because I saw a job advert in a paper and I, I saw the customer service aspect. Um, you know, we need to do more of going into schools and universities from the start and being like, you know, there's so much opportunity here. And I do genuinely think unless you've got a clinical pathway in mind or you happen to know someone who works in the NHS, so that's sort of in your mind from the start. How do people really know that there are all these opportunities in health and care for you? Because I absolutely didn't and I still don't think a lot of people people do. So um, uh, the, the Shuri Network podcast, for example, is another great example of where they're, they're sharing people's career stories and role modelling. So, so, yeah, that's my bit on career pathways. And, and, and then the other thing sort, sort of more broadly is um, the risk of being pigeonholed because you're a technical person. So one of my experiences was I went into a role to do a transformation role and because I was an informatics person I ended up looking after this access database which became the bane of my life and no one should ever have to look after an access database it was torturous and if you haven't used access before or you don't really know about it it's one of those things where it just takes someone to literally put the wrong zero in the wrong place to completely break the whole thing I wasn't exactly a pro on it, but because I was an informatics person, I was the best placed person to use it. So I spent all of my energy or, or a big proportion of my energy working on this access database when I wanted to be out there doing my transformational work. Um, it was deemed as a high priority because there are reporting implications to it. So it, it was something that had to be done. So there is something about um, a challenge about being pigeonholed if you're not careful because people see you as, as the specialist digital techie person it, as I, I think as this conversation's shown I'm probably one of the least technical people working in this space we have ongoing competitions with some of our colleagues as to who holds that holds that badge um so you know we'll, we'll see how that goes um and then also you know my personal journey to sort of feel how could I be authentic and bring my whole self to work that has been a challenge um, I think, uh, you know, pulling on two main things. Um, I'm someone with anxiety and, you know, for a long time I got dealt loads of messages about you're not resilient enough, you need to be more resilient, you need to be a certain way. Some of this wasn't all direct, you know, some of this is just the, the culture and actually some of the leadership training you go on focuses on how do you become more resilient as an individual? It doesn't think about the different needs of individuals and also actually the the pressure cooker environment so many of us are working in. So one of the challenges was finding my voice and finding that authentic path for me. And, and the other big aspect of that was all the flexible working stuff. So I really struggled after maternity leave. I struggled with my identity. I think I, I, I think I wanted everything and I sort of felt like I ended up with nothing. Um, so, you know, balancing all that and 
again, going back to what I said earlier, being able to talk about role models, this stuff, support others, lift each other up is is just it's just great because others have done the same for me and and I couldn't have got to where I could without them. So, you know, Kate, for example, who who co-founded Flex NHS, um honestly, like absolutely advocate and 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 you know, I don't think I'd be working in the NHS actually if if it wasn't for, for, for some of those individuals through that flexible working network. Um so you know I hope you know we continue to help pull it pull each other up and pull others up in the same way that we've been supported. Um, networks are a big part of that. As I've been mentioned a few, we've mentioned Shuri, we've mentioned Flex. There's digital health networks that are really powerful, but there's we've got some really nice communities there of people that really really want to help each other. Um, and the last thing I'll add, just just <laughs> briefly, you know, we joked before that, you know, you won't be short of content with me and Raffia once we get talking. <laughs> um, but from a personal development perspective, um, I don't always know when to stop. And and, and that's probably twofold. Um, one, I get my fingers in lots of pies and I just want to get involved in everything because I get FOMO and I don't want to disappoint people. Um, and and then the other part of me is is learning as part of my own leadership journey is where do I stop and where do I lead and where do I make sure I'm giving other people the space and are you know coaching them and supporting them rather than trying to do all the delivery and 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 that is a bit hard in a new role when you're trying to work out who who everyone is and what your teams are. But from a from a learning perspective, that's a challenge for me is is knowing when to stop in in both aspects of that from a well being aspect and also from a you know, making sure that I'm giving other people the space that they need to do what they need to do in, 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 the, in their time and their way. So um, a, a bit of an honest one there. No, no, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Asha. Uh, you mentioned something about um, people teaching you how to be resilient, which needs to be more focused on the individual needs. And that's something that's been raised in the previous podcast, Female Leadership. And I think that's a very, very good point. Um, it's all about kind of telling people what how to do things rather than actually trying to develop them as a person and understand why they got there in the first place. Um, go on. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to respond to that. And I, I think Rafi will agree, but I'll let her come in afterwards. And I know one of the reasons I was so keen on applying for this job and coming to work at Surrey and Builders was because I knew I had that buy-in and that support to come in and be my authentic self. And I wasn't expected to fit a mould or act a certain way or be a certain way. And I'd have that support to do what I needed to do around my needs. But in turn, they get so much more out of me than if I was miserable. Um, yeah. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Matt Rathbeer, but um, I think that was, I just wanted to make that point. And, it, it, you know, I think more organisations could could do better in that space. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, this, um, we have people bring their personalities, but they bring their passion, they bring their commitment. And it's if you let the personalities kind of develop and, you know, it's chaos at times and it takes time. And there's a lot of, lot of conversation about ensuring people feel comfortable in their space and we're approaching things the right way. And, and for me, I'm very, very lucky because I have this extra stand of, is it ethical? <laughs> so it, then I can kind of say, well, you know, we've done this process, we've done it this way, but actually, is this ethical? Are people feeling valued and happy and nurtured? And it's part of part of my role, which is so wonderful to encourage people to, you know, talk about authentic self. And that's not easy to do. That that takes time, and not, you know, different people express themselves differently. And you know, it, it's truly embracing that you accept everyone's personal preference for how they express themselves and um so it's it's it 
working this way is not quick, easy, straightforward, <laughs> um, and also not the norm. So, you know, we don't have huge models for, for working this way. But I think, um, I guess, uh, you know, as, as, as kind of Toby is our chief digital <laughs> officer, what he's created and SBP as a trust, what they kind of really promote is, yeah. is bringing, bringing ourselves to the role. Absolutely. Nice, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, definitely see that we've had Mark Kenny on the podcast, we've had Toby Avery on the podcast, you know, and they've demonstrated the same values. It seems like the work you guys are doing, you know, is exceptional and definitely kind of that modern way of working as well, which is really, really good to see. Um, we've got a few minutes left, so I do want to, this question, I do want to kind of squeeze in because I think it's really important for what we're trying to achieve here. Um, so what advice would you have for those aspiring to, you know, lead within tech or even just lead in, in general, it doesn't have to be specifically around tech. Um, you know, was there anything that helped you along the way in terms of like, did you have mentors or coaches? Um, yeah, do you want to just kick us off, Rafia? Yeah, so I guess it's so I, I'm one of those people when you have a chocolate box selection, I'd say the best to last and no one can go near it. <laughs> but Asher did, it was Shuri Network, um, which is just a prime example. <laughs> I'm kidding, Asher. It's brilliant because that's the beauty of Shuri Network. It's, it's just, it, it is kind of everywhere and it should be and we're trying to get it to be everywhere that everyone can kind of quote it. Um, and um, I guess I'll take a step back. It's about finding people who lift you up, make you feel good about yourself, um, make you face challenges in a positive way, help break it apart, talk to you, counter challenge you as well, you know, give you that positive, critical feedback. And um, I'm lucky I have several people, several networks. I, I actively went out and sought them. Um, and, and I say by far the one, if I had to pick one network, which really does that for me, I still does that, is the Shuri Network. And again, for people that have not heard of it, please go away and kind of find out about it. It's um, a network to support women of colour working in um, health or social care um, in digital. Um, it's an ever-growing broad remit because the nature of digital and health and care is always ever-changing, but it, it, it's built on allyship. And that's not as a token gesture, it absolutely is. So I'm a member of the steering group and we try and model what we want to grow within the Shuri network. And we have a diverse representation within the steering group from people from different genders, different backgrounds, um, different kind of places within the hierarchy of the NHS, shall we say. Um, and not just the NHS, but social care as well. So real mix. And it it is about finding people who can support you. Um, Shuri Network do events, um, they do bursary schemes, they do fellowships. Um, they, uh, it's about providing opportunities, kind of, it's the, as, so Shira Chuck is kind of the, one of the Rachel to Sarah Armani, Shira kind of set it up at one of um, a digital event, it was a digital summer school where they looked around and realised there was just so few, uh, it's, it's just so little diversity, people that, you know, had I was going to say look different, but it's not about looking different. It's about um, just a range of views, experiences, opinions, backgrounds, roots. So there is, there could be a similar route. There is, there is a particular kind of population that goes towards these digital health kind of uh, careers, and it's trying to break that. And she, she said it's about passing on that tap on the shoulder to those that don't get it naturally, that will naturally bump with the others and build those networks and get to know, and especially now in this remote working world, <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> and that's what Shuri Network is all about. And that to me is is basically 
what I got from being part of Shumi Network. Um, I was coached, I was supported, I was mentored, I was spotlighted, um, you know, so much support. And I think it's a bit like Asha mentioned earlier, it's about also giving that back and building capacity to give that back. And, and it's that circle of support. Um, and it doesn't matter who or where you get it from, just getting it and, and filling your cup on a regular basis <laughs> and then filling others as well. Um, so, yeah, so for me, the, the absolute model is, is Shuri Network, but it's what it represents and different people will need different things at different times. So it's not to say that's the model for everyone, but because it's all about inclusion <laughs> in the NHS um, and allyship, I think it's a nice one because it should translate quite well. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Raphael. Um, Asha, what, 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 was, what would you, what advice would you give? Oh, I was getting myself off mute. Um, had to happen at least once. Um, so I think um, a couple of things. I'll, I'll build on Raphael's first of all. Um, I think, um, yeah, you know, if you can give back, absolutely great. It's a real challenge between finding that capacity to do it and not overwhelming yourself. I know that's something I've struggled with and I think, you know, I, Again, don't want to put words in Raffi's mouth, but I think both of our sort of, I suppose, profiles and where we are in our roles have probably both got quite big at the same time. And, and there's suddenly been a big influx of people suddenly looking for you, to you for advice and support and, and guidance and people reaching out. And I found that really overwhelming at, at the start. I felt like I had a responsibility for all these people and that I, I might get it wrong and I might tell them the wrong thing. Um, so I think I, I just want to acknowledge that actually that's okay to feel like that sometimes and it can be a bit it can be a bit scary and overwhelming if, if, if that suddenly happens in quite a short space of time and it I think where this digital space is so dynamic that can happen in a very short space of time where things are quite niche and, and things can get big very quickly um so, so do do like look after yourself in that space but I think when you when you can give back and you know you can always say actually no I can't I can't at the moment but I could do it a bit later or signpost to other people that's fine too and um, but when you are in that position to give back you know you, you get this beautiful two-way learning that that comes out of it as well so actually you know if you can coach and mentor others you you will absolutely learn something back from from those individuals you're working with and also I, I found doing mentoring and coaching and um, made me a better line manager as well so actually the, the, the and, and, and sort of the day-to-day -day work I do because I was able to work better with those people and ask them the right questions and think a bit differently so 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 all the, all, all the giving back stuff is, is is sort of wrapped into that and also say thank you to the people that have helped you and, and that they've made a difference so so what Raffi just said was was incredible like uh, really like, touched my heart and um you know hopefully I, I feed that back to those that have helped me likewise in different situations and Raffi has helped me too in loads of ways you know we, we have a, we I'm really happy we started our jobs together we've, we've definitely had a really good support network between us but um you know I love it when people say thank you to me because it, it helps me sort of reaffirm that actually what I'm doing is sometimes helpful and useful and sometimes it can feel like you're, you're shouting into the void. Um, other few quick points I'll, I'll try and I'll try and wrap this up. Um, take up the opportunities to, to shadow, to coach, to learn, to go to conferences, to look at what different teams do. Um, you know, be curious. Um, it's not just about tech. It's it's about digital as a way of working. It's about how all these things come together. So yeah, be curious and take up opportunities. Um, and and my last thing is, I, I think maybe it's a bit of a theme in, in in this podcast is don't be afraid to be the lone voice. Um, you know, speak what you feel is is the truth. Stay true to your values. Have that integrity. Don't worry if it's not 
necessarily seen as the right thing or what the status quo want you to say. Um, you know, if we don't get those different views out there, nothing is ever going to change. And once you start sharing, even if it is a bit different, you'll find your allies, you'll find your tribe, things will change. So, yeah, don't don't be afraid to, to say something a bit different to what the expectations are. Oh, that was brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you both. And um, definitely some great pieces of advice there from people aspiring to lead within tech and just also leadership in general. Um, it'd be great to come when we get that out there. I'm sure that will help a lot of people. Um, I am conscious that you've, we have run slightly over, um, which we always said it was going to happen. Um, so it's just truly down to the great dynamic between you two. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Um, it's been really, really good listening to you both and your experiences. Um, yeah, and I can't wait for the release. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for having us. No, you're very Thanks. welcome. You're very yeah, welcome. Really right. Good. Really glad to hear. I will catch up with you soon and take care. Bye. Thank, Bye. You. thank you again. Bye-bye.